All right, welcome to the second ever episode of Optimism Delivers. The good news is I have a couple of amazing guests lined up for next week. We're going to talk art, we're going to talk money, we're going to talk turning art into money, and we're going to talk about John Wick and probably the upcoming John Wick 2. The bad news is that's next week. So for one more episode, I'm going to keep rolling this 8-track solo, but I got a new microphone, I got some new theme music, and I got the chance to talk about a new topic that is very near to my heart on all sorts of levels, which is both seasons of True Detective. I got to back up. And say for the longest time, and I'm talking years and years here, I was the guy who didn't watch television. And I was proud of that. It was kind of my thing. People would say like, oh, did you see whatever show, whatever game? And I'd be like, no, I don't watch TV. And part of that was because for a lot of years, TV kind of sucked. But part of it was that TV and movies, they sort of require you to spend hours sitting and watching someone else's vision take shape. Time watching TV was time that I could have been pursuing my own vision. And like an, a lot of artists, you know, I, I got a lot, make a lot of stuff. Um, and I didn't want to waste time watching someone else make stuff. I wanted to make my own stuff. That changed one night. Um, my wife left the TV on. She went to bed. I was not watching it. I was screwing around with the guitar. And I accidentally stumbled upon the premiere of True Detective. That's the recognizable opening song. It's a clip from a handsome family. My, my life changed when I saw that show. The most obvious way is that True Detective single-handedly turned me into a TV junkie. In the years since that first premiere episode, I've watched so much TV. I've watched all five seasons of American Horror Story. I've watched all five seasons of The Wire. I've watched all six seasons of Justified, among tons of other shows. True Detective reaffirmed my belief that literary fiction is trite and self-indulgent and bad. There's like individual books I like. I like Winter's Tale by Mark Helprin. I like Blood Meridian. But mostly I find literature super pretentious and just bad. Detective stories and slasher films, these are the real thing. These are the urban legends. These are the stories that outline our era. They define our times. That stuff I kind of already believed before I saw True Detective. But finally, I felt like I was able to point to a screen and say, yeah, that. And you know, th there's another thing, which is that like a lot of writers, I also kind of got sucked into True Detective's creation myth, the story of how the show came to be. It showed me a new vision for how powerful one writer's confidence could really be. Which brings us to the second season. That's the opening theme for season two by the awesome uh, Leonard Cohen. In the publicity run-up to this season, the press abetted a just disgusting amount of mythologizing around the series creator, writer, producer, showrunner, genius human Nick Pizzolatto, which was kind of cool and kind of different. Typically, the person who writes the script is considered some sort of like nerdy adjunct to the director, the star, the producer, all these other people. There's a standard Hollywood joke about the actress who was so dumb she accidentally slept with the writer. Pizzolatto changed that. He bucked Hollywood's hierarchy and he took control of his own vision. I remember reading about how he chose TV instead of film. Like, he got to choose and he chose TV because in film, the director rules and he's a writer and writers shouldn't have to come to Hollywood and become subservient to other people's vision. To most writers, that sort of self-determination makes Pizzolatto better than just a good writer. It makes him the goddamn Batman. So, in leading up to the premiere of the second season, you had a bunch of journalists who were tasked with talking about basically one of their own. They basically fetishized Nick Pizzolatto because he was a writer too. 
And as I wrote on the time on my at the time on my blog, this situation reminded me of a comment one of my art directors made to me a few years back. I had authored this little book about social media on behalf of one of our clients. It was designed like crazy by a guy named Brian who is gone, but we will never forget him. And its publication was picked up by something like 900 or 1,000 blogs. There were all these positive reviews, to which my friend and creative partner, my art director, Sean, just kind of shrugged. Dude was not impressed. He was like, yeah, social media thinks a book about social media is cool. Shocker. True Detectives Press was basically the same thing. It was a bunch of not very successful writers who think a very successful writer is cool. We probably should not have been surprised by this. And for season two, Pizzolatto doubled down on this legend of the hero writer. He, you know, bailed on his director. He didn't need a writer's room. The guy just sat down in his house and wrote the whole season himself. It was awesome. The thing is, the season two just wasn't as good as season one, and there's various theories about this, how it's like, oh, it's the studio's fault because they forced him to write too fast, and the story never quite made sense, and there was too many stars in it. But my personal uh, opinion based on absolutely zero evidence at all, is that Pizzolatto had his back against the wall, and he seized the chance to open mouth kiss basically every piece of great crime writing of the past 20 years. He did what everybody does when their back is up against the wall in sort of a creative hole. They go back to what they know. And this put us in a terrible position where season one, it felt like nothing you'd ever seen before. Season two was basically just a really awesome mashup of everything we'd ever seen before. You could actually watch it. I watched it and sat like, oh, here, got that from Heat. That one's out of L.A. Confidential. In fact, when you think about it, the whole story was like a story about high-level corruption seen to the eyes of three macho, corrupt cops and criminals and the one woman who all think they're so smart, but at the end of the day, they're just pawns and they can't get out of this corrupt system. That whole thing is straight out of James Elroy, and I am not the only one who feels this way. I actually went to see Elroy speak maybe about a year back, and someone else in the audience, not me, raised their hand and asked him if he felt True Detective ripped him off. And Elroy was like, oh, I don't know, I watched the first episode of season one, and it's ripped on religious people, which is just too easy. It's beneath me, and so I didn't watch anything after that. It, the point being, if you're a crime fiction junkie, you watch crime movies, and you read crime books, there's a lot of references packed into True Detective season two. Writing and art... These are wonderful solo enterprises. They're things you do by yourself in your room. Film and advertising are not like that. They're team sports. And when writers nix designers or vice versa, everything just goes fucking haywire. You get things like True Detective Season 2, which was kind of rad at times. I mean, I did not like it. I kind of loved it. I loved the writing. I loved the messiness of the plotting, the noiriness of it, the atmosphere of it. I love the fact that it was basically an open letter love mash on the entire genre. I love the characters. I love Colin Farrell. I watched every episode. Some of them I watched two or three times. But it was a pretty reflexive piece of fiction. Season 1 worked because one person believed in a vision so strongly. He was able to rally this huge team of geniuses. The Matthew McConaughey, Roddy Harrelson, and Kerry Fukunaga. All these people came together to support that vision. At the risk of ending on a cliche, if you want to go fast, you can go alone. But if you want to go far, you have to go together. Mm-hmm.